My name's George DeVoe. I've, I'm a member of this congregation. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm no one really special except in the Lord's eyes and, of course, those who know and love me from the brethren and my family. So um, this morning the Lord has put it on my heart to uh, preach a sermon that I've entitled, Whosoever. And uh, I would just like to ask the Lord for an additional word of his presence before I start this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, this, uh, this task that you have given me, which I do with, uh, with reverence and honor, I ask that you will speak through me and to your people in your words and not my words, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the title of my sermon, as I mentioned, is Whosoever. So let's turn in our Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without sin, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commandeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we, when we were, if when we were sinner enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. Now here in these 11 verses, we see the entire plan of God's uh, plan of salvation for fallen man. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by faith alone that we find access to heaven, not by works, lest any man should boast, because then we would have earned it ourselves, and it would not be a free gift, but rather an obligation. We read in Ephesians, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, is it possible to accept the truth that we have just read and yet still deny the character of Christ through whom we find our atonement? Yes, and this is exactly what we see happening with the entire Christian world today. Accepting Christ, yet crucifying the law of God, which Christ himself could not alter. Someone has to set the record straight. If Christ himself had to die to meet the requirements of God's law, then how can we be found righteous in Christ when we ignore the same requirements? And we, as Seventh-day Adventists, are called to be a peculiar people. 
people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, which we read about in Revelations chapter 14, verse 12. This is also the defining characteristic of God's remnant church at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now, what else does God's word have to say about his remnant church in the last days? In Isaiah 58, 12, And they shall be of thee, talking about the remnant, shall build the old waste places. Thou shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to walk in. Now let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. That's Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Least I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now we read these verses and we understand the promise of God that the third Elijah will come into the world. But much of the Christian world today fails to understand the context. And God has given us this promise that we might have hope in the power of God to accomplish his purpose and finish the work before the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let our hope be founded in truth, not in confusion. Let us have a clear understanding of what the scripture is really telling us. For that, we need to take a closer look at Malachi in chapter 4 and verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. This verse starts with the word remember the same word that God uses to start the fourth commandment. Now, let's just review the fourth commandment quickly. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt do not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy maidservant, nor thy man, maidservant, nor thy manservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Did God know in advance that his people would forget both the Sabbath and the requirements of the law? In much the same way as the world has forgotten the law of God and rejected the Sabbath, God's people have also forgotten the mission of the third Elijah. And in Malachi chapter 4, 4, God is telling us, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. The world today claims that the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross, but, that, but that's not what God's word says. Only the handwritten ordinances, which were written by Moses, and kept outside the Ark of the Covenant were nailed to the cross, not God's moral law of Ten Commandments contained on the inside of the Ark. We read about this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Just as the prophet Elijah had to bring the people back to true worship 
and restore God's law in his day under the power of the latter reign, the third Elijah will have to do the same thing. Now let's compare the type to the antitype, which is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Here we see the prophet challenging the apostate system, which consisted of both true and false worship, calling the people back to true worship and to God's law. This we also see the third Elijah doing in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. To understand this verse, we must look at Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah was turning the hearts of the children back to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the national fathers, the patriarchs through whom the promises of God had been delivered. It is here in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that we see the fulfillment of God's promise of the three angels' messages also. <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, which is being preached in great power by the third Elijah as a final warning to all the world. Now let's turn in our Bibles as we read God's final warning to mankind. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And now how do we know with certainty that the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14 is the end time gospel? Jesus himself confirms this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations. Then shall the end come. This is the gospel message that culminates in the end of the world and the second advent of Jesus Christ that is preached to all the world. 
Now, God's character is being distorted, misrepresented in the world today. And we as Seventh-day Adventists have an obligation to set the record straight on the true character of God and on doctrine. What foundation must we raise up to repair the breach in the wall? We read in 1 Corinthians 3.11, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This foundation that has been defaced, distorted and maligned with every type of false teaching and false doctrine in the world today. There are millions of people out there today who are on the road to perdition because of false doctrine. People who either have a form of godliness, yet deny the power thereof, or they refuse to believe in a God who is harsh, unforgiving and wrathful, assigning people to eternal damnation for the sins of this brief existence. These are precious souls that Christ has died for that are being deceived and have either a false sense of security or a distorted picture of God's character. Now we read in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Psalms 118, 22 and 23. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. In Matthew 21:42, we see Christ quoting the book of Psalms. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Is it possible that if he was rejected in the past, that he would also be rejected in today's world that claims to embrace Jesus Christ? We see a Christian world today that is steeped in pagan traditions, spiritualism, and every type of distraction possible all designed by Satan to keep the people from the truth. Today, Jesus Christ is marginalized and paid only lip service, and the real Jesus Christ of the Bible has been rejected, just as he was in the time of the Jews. The character of Jesus Christ lay shattered and scattered on the highways of this planet, trampled into the dust by every wind of doctrine. So turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to 1 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And we need to stand up for the character of God. The, the people need to know that God is not only a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. The Jews accepted the law and crucified Christ. Yet the Christians today accept Christ and crucify the law, the very expression of God's character. Sin, by definition, is the transgression of the law. And this we read in 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So where there is no sin, there is no need for grace. And where we see in Christianity today, only believe and you will be saved. This is grace without the law. And also by definition, an oxymoron. 
You cannot be under grace if there is no law because there's no transgression. And if there's no transgression, there's no need for grace. Cheap grace defaces the character of God, reducing the atonement to an afterthought, making a mockery of God's plan of salvation. An atonement that justifies sin, implying that we shall continue in sin until Christ returns, is contrary to God's word and does injustice to the character of God. And in Romans 6 verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There is still a death required. It's a death of the old man and a transformation of the character, not a modification of self, but a death. And in Titus chapter 2 verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. A transformation that is so complete that even your own mother will say, I don't know who you are anymore. In Romans chapter 3 verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And in some of the newer translations it says, we make the law more powerful. What do we read in God's word concerning his character and judgment? Let's take a look in Exodus chapter 34 verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. We have a responsibility to warn the world that Christ is coming soon and that they have been deceived by false doctrine. Immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness. Both of these doctrines rob Jesus Christ of his omnipotence, of his power, and of his atonement. If man is immortal and already has eternal life, then the entire plan of salvation that we just read in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 was for nothing. Why would Jesus have to die for our sins to give us eternal life if we already have eternal life? And there are 53 verses of scripture in the Bible that clearly define death as a sleep. And our Lord himself confirms this in the Gospel of John when he's talking about the death of Lazarus. In John 11 verses 12 to 14. Then said his, says his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he will do well. Talking about Lazarus. And in verse 13, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. The transference of Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday robs Jesus of his authority and gives his authority to someone else, to an earthly power that claims to have the authority to change God's law. And in Daniel 7.25 we read, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. There is only one commandment in God's law that is also a time, the Sabbath. And man does not have the authority to change God's law. From the book, The Great Controversy, page 588, Through the True Great Errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, 
Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. While the former lies the foundation of spiritualism, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. I'd like to share with you a couple of quotes. Pope Leo XIII, in an encyclical letter dated June the 20th, 1894. Not the creator of the universe in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, but the Catholic Church claimed the honor of having granted man a pause to his work every seven days. The Catholic Universe Bulletin, August the 14th, 1942, page 4. The Church changed the observance of Sabbath to Sunday by right of the divine infallible authority given to her by the founder Jesus Christ. The Protestant claiming the Bible to be the only guide to faith has no warrant observing Sunday. In this matter, the Seventh-day Adventist is the only consistent Protestant. Now these are some strong statements. And here we have an earthly power issuing these blasphemous statements claiming to have the authority to change God's law. We read in Daniel chapter 8 verse 25, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He's talking about witchcraft or spiritualism. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Spiritualism has taken the place of true faith in the Christian world today. And we read of this unholy union in Revelation 16, 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the one world order controlled by the papacy, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the apostate Protestant churches. In verse 16, 14. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and unto the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Deception and false doctrine are rampant in the world today. Spiritual formation, apparitions, contemplative prayer, and all of these things are taking the place of the reality of real faith. What is God calling his remnant church to do today in the last moments of earth's history? We are being called to set the record straight on doctrine and righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. The world today has accepted another Jesus Christ, not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And as a result, millions will be lost. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. Ezekiel 33, 7 through 11. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he turn not from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou, o, uh, therefore, o thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. 
Thus ye speak, saying, If your transgressions and your sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And this message is for those of us in the church, as well as for those who are lost in the world, being deceived by the wine of Babylon. And God will not hold us faultless if we fail to give this message to the world. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, one of my most favorite words in the Bible is whosoever. Whosoever turns to him will be saved. Whosoever believes in him will be saved. And this one word alone completely eliminates the false doctrine of predestination. In Romans 10:13, For whosoever, talking about anyone, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, does that mean that we will be saved as transgressors and that there's no conditions for our salvation? Or is obedience a condition of salvation? Yes, obedience is a condition of salvation. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. And it starts off with my favorite word, whosoever, therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And later we read in that, that he won't even be there. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Grace without law, predestination, dispensationalism, futurism. What do these doctrines do to the character of Jesus Christ? They make him arbitrary, wrathful, unjust, and completely the opposite of a loving creator God who gave his own life to pay the price for sin so that we might have eternal life. This world is headed for a showdown and the forces of evil are redoubling their efforts, tirelessly working to make void the law of God. I'm going to share with you a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 405. Spiritualism is now changing its form, veiling some of its more objectionable and immoral features and assuming a Christian guise. Formerly, it denounced Christ and the Bible. Now it professes to accept both. The Bible is interpreted in a manner that is attractive to the unrenewed heart, while its solemn and vital truths are made of no effect. A God of love is presented, but his justice, his denunciations of sin, and the requirements of his holy law are kept out of sight. Pleasing, bewitching fables captivate the senses of those who do not make God's word the foundation of their faith. Christ is verily rejected as before, but Satan has so blinded the eyes of the people that the deception is not discerned. And that's the Christian world today. And if the Seventh-day Adventist church doesn't stand up and defend the character of God, millions will be lost as a consequence. 
So turn with me into the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 24. That's Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. We read in Hebrews also that, Wherefore are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What do these verses tell us about the character and the nature of God? God does not change, nor does he alter his word. He is a consuming fire, and all those that cling to sin will be consumed by his presence. Christianity today teaches that if you're bad, you go to the hot place. But God's word says the opposite, and those that are saved go to the hot place. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call all heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. This verse sets the character of God in the right light. This is a God that stands for righteousness and judgment, yet he gives us the freedom of choice to choose either life or death. By an act of disobedience, mankind became mortal and was expelled from the Garden of Eden. And only by obedience to God's law can we be reinstated through God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. In the Review and Herald, June the 26th, 1900, there are many whose religion consists in theory. To them, a happy emotion is godliness. They say, come to Jesus and believe in him. It makes no difference what you believe so long as you are honest in your belief. They do not seek to make the sinner understand the true character of sin. He is not urged to search the scriptures on bended knees that he may know what is truth or to pray that his eyes may be anointed with eye salve that he may see the grace of Christ. When the lawyer came to Christ saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Savior did not say, Believe, only believe, and you will be saved. What is written in the law, he said? How readest thou? The lawyer answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Christ said, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Here the false doctrine that man has nothing to do but believe is swept away. Eternal, eternal life is given to us on the condition that we obey the commandments of God. And in Titus chapter 1 verse 9, holding fast the faithful words as hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. First Timothy chapter four, verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The great controversy, uh, page 595. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of reforms. The opinions of learned men 
and deductions of science, the creeds of, uh, of the, and, or decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and discordant as the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority, not one or all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in its support. Satan is constantly endeavoring to attract attention to man in the place of God. He leads the people to look to bishops, to pastors, to professors of theology as their guides instead of searching the scriptures to learn their duty themselves. Then by controlling the minds of these leaders, he can influence the multitudes according to his will. Now, as I close this morning, let's please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 22, verse 17. That's Revelations 22, verse 17. And the Spirit of God, which is God the Holy Spirit, and the bride, which is God's remnant church, say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Meaning, whosoever responds to the message of the remnant church. And let him that is a thirst come. That is, whosoever is converted by their testimony. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The plan of salvation and the true gospel of Jesus Christ is for every man woman and child on this planet and whosoever will receive it the world however the the word whosoever sorry is used in the new testament over 100 times it applies as equally to the righteous as it does to the sinner regardless of nation creed or color it is an all encompassing word it's an all inclusive word calling each of us to the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless each of you as you walk in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ here behind enemy lines. And let us go forth from this place and bring the words of life and truth to a lost and dying world that whosoever will believe and be converted shall be saved. Amen.